Uh, let's turn again together tonight to Judges chapter 11. Judges chapter 11. Let's begin reading in verse 29. Judges eleven twenty nine. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, and he passed over Gilead and Manasseh, and passed over Mizpah of Gilead, and from Mizpah of Gilead he passed over unto the children of Ammon. And Jephthah vowed a vow unto the Lord, and said, If thou shalt without fail deliver the children of Ammon into my hands, then it shall be that whatsoever cometh forth of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the children of Ammon shall surely be the Lord's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. So Jephthah passed over the children of Ammon to fight against them, and the Lord delivered them into his hands. And he smote them from Aurora, even till thou come to Minnith, even twenty cities, and into the plain of the vineyards with a very great slaughter. And thus the children of Ammon were subdued before the children of Israel. And Jephthah came to Mizpah unto his house, and behold, his daughter came out to meet him with timbrels and with dances, and she was his only child. Beside her he had neither son nor daughter. And it came to pass when he saw her that he rent his clothes, and he said, Alas, my daughter, thou hast brought me very low. And thou art one of them that troubled me, for I have opened my mouth unto the Lord, and I cannot go back. And she said unto him, My father, if thou hast opened thy mouth unto the Lord, do to me according to that which hath proceeded out of thy mouth. For as much as the Lord hath taken vengeance for thee of thine enemies, even of the children of Ammon. And he said, and she said unto her father, let this thing be done for me. Let me alone two months that I may go up and down upon the mountains and bewail my virginity, I and my fellows. And he said, go. And he sent her away for two months. And she went with her companions and bewailed her virginity upon the mountains. And it came to pass at the end of two months that she returned unto her father who did with her according to his vow, which he had vowed, and she knew no man. And it was a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went yearly to lament the daughter of Jephthah, the Gileadite, four days in a year. Now, as you know, Jephthah was one of the judges of Israel. Verse 29 says, The Spirit of the Lord was upon him. This is how, that's how Jephthah defeated the enemies of Israel. The Spirit of the Lord was upon him. And Christ our Lord without measure had the Spirit of the Lord upon him to defeat his people's enemies. And aren't you thankful for that? My, my. Again, Jephthah, Jephthah pictures Christ. Now it's believed that the prophet Samuel wrote the book of Judges, but we're not told. 
And as you know, and as the scriptures teach, all the prophets of the Old Testament bear witness, give witness to the Lord Jesus Christ in picture and type. It's no different with this passage before us tonight. Look at verse 39 again. We're told that when his daughter returned after two months, that Jetha did with her according to his vow, which he had vowed. Now, what was that vow? If the Lord gave Jetha victory over the children of Ammon, his vow, according to verse 31, was whatsoever or whosoever cometh forth out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace shall surely be the Lord's and I'll offer it up as a burnt offering. Jetha made a promise to God of a burnt offering. This was not a vow of thanksgiving that Jetha made. It was a vow of a burnt offering. Now, there's been much discussion by Bible scholars as to whether or not Jephthah, Jephthah actually offered his daughter as a burnt offering sacrifice. Many suggest that he didn't. But the text seems very clear to me. It says that Jephthah did with her according to the vow which he had vowed. When we consider the story here concerning Jephthah, we must understand first and foremost that it's not about Jephthah. And it's not about the Ammonites. And it's not even about Jephthah's daughter. This is a story of redemption. This is a story of atonement. It's a picture of the successful work of the Lord Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross who became God's burnt offering. It's a story about the fire of God's justice falling upon the Lord and Savior, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as a vow, a covenant promise by God Himself in eternity past. It's the story of how God's holy wrath and justice falling upon God's Son, His only Son, the Son whom He loved, in the room instead of elect sinners. Now, I'm interested in that because I'm a great sinner and I need a great Savior. This vow of atonement must be offered as promised by God Himself in order for any chosen sinner to be saved. And the good news that I have for you tonight is that it was fulfilled. Our Lord said so Himself. It's finished. And it was finished. Now in the Old Testament, there were many offerings spoken of. The, the sin offering in Leviticus chapter 4, the grain offering in Leviticus chapter 2, the guilt or trespass offering, Leviticus 5, the peace offering, Leviticus 3, and then there was the burnt offering, Leviticus 1. That was the offering that Jephthah made. He vowed to God, again, whatever cometh forth out of the doors of my house, regardless of who it is or what it is, when I return in peace from the children of Ammon, and he did, the Spirit of the Lord was upon him, and they easily, as we read, defeated the uh, enemies of Israel because God did their fighting. <laughs> and that's what we see over and over again in the Old Testament Scriptures. God says, I'll fight for you. I'll give you the victory. And that's exactly why he 
had the victory. And he says, whatever comes out of my door shall surely be the Lord's and I'll offer it up for a burnt offering. Now I want you to hold your place here and turn with me to Leviticus chapter 1. I want you to see this. uh, Leviticus chapter 1 verse 2. Here in Leviticus chapter 1 verse 2, the Lord spake to Moses. I want you to see what He said. The Lord spake to Moses and said, Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, If any man of you bring an offering unto the Lord, ye shall bring your offering of the cattle, even of the herd and of the flock. And if his offering be a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own voluntary will at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord. And he shall put his hand upon the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. Atonement. What a blessed word that is. What a blessed thing that is. Now in the following verses here in Leviticus, uh, God gives detailed instructions as to how this beast was to be cut up and uh, offered upon the altar for atonement. And Jephthah's vow points us to the atonement that the Lord Jesus accomplished for His people. This is what the Lord did when He became God's burnt offering. Turn back a few pages to Exodus chapter 18, verse 1. I want to establish first and foremost what this burnt offering is. A burnt offering meant death. Death for the sacrifice. It says in verse 1 that when Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, who was a priest of Midian, you remember that? He was a priest of Midian. He heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, and that the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Look down at verse 7. It says that Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and he, he did... Obeisance and kissed him, and they asked each other of their welfare, and they came into the tent. And Moses told his father in law all that the Lord had done unto Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, and all the travail that had come upon them by the way, and how the Lord delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the goodness which the Lord had done to Israel whom he had delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who hath delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh, who hath delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. And look what he says in verse 11. He says, Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. He was a priest of Midian. He's saying He's greater than my God. He is the God. For the thing wherein they dealt proudly, he was above them. And Jethro, father's father, Moses' father-in-law, took a burnt offering and sacrifices for God. The burnt offering, friends, was a sacrifice unto God to atone for sin. What uh, Jethro was saying here is that I've been wrong. 
I've been serving the wrong God. And he made a burnt offering sacrifice unto the Lord. That's what a burnt offering was. It was made for the atonement of sin. For the putting away of sin. And the Lord Jesus is our burnt offering. For by one offering, the Scripture says, this, by the sacrifice of Himself, He, Christ, hath, past tense, perfected forever them that are sanctified. And you sit here tonight that you that trust Christ and you're as perfect as Christ Himself is. And I know that's hard for us to get our little finite minds around, but it's true nonetheless. When I stand before God, I stand as perfect as my Lord and Savior who loved me and gave Himself for me. Now let's backtrack just a little. Now I told you last week that uh, I'd have more to say about the beginning verses of Judges chapter 11. So turn back there with me and look at verse 1. Judges 11 verse 1, Now Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty man of valor. And he was the son of a harlot. And Gilead beget Jephthah. And Gilead's wife bare him sons, and his wife's sons grew up, and they thrust out Jephthah and said unto him, Thou shalt not inherit our father's house, for thou art the son of a strange woman. And then Jephthah fled from his brethren and dwelt in the land of Tob. And there was gathered there were gathered vain men to Jephthah and went out with him. And it came to pass in the process of time that the children of Ammon made war against Israel. Now, the children of Ammon here is a picture of our enemy. Uh, sin is our main enemy. <laughs> Satan. And even self. You know that self is an enemy. By nature, that old man that dwells in us is our enemy. And I found this very interesting. The word mighty there, mighty man of valor, speaking of Jephthah, it's a strengthened form or use of the word strong. Fully translated, it would be correctly uh, to, correct to say that Jephthah was very exceedingly mighty and strong. What a picture of Christ that is. Jephthah was a warrior. Uh, we would call him a man's man. Exceedingly strong and mighty. And the Lord equipped him much as He did Samson. But friends, I'm telling you, there's one mightier than Samson. There's one mightier than Jephthah. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. David asked this in Psalm 24, Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. The Lord reigneth. He is clothed with majesty. The Lord is clothed with strength. Psalm 93.1 Who is this that is glorious in His apparel, traveling in the greatness of His strength? Isaiah 63.1 it's the Lord Jesus Christ. Who is this man that spoiled principalities and powers and made a show of them openly, triumphing over them? Colossians 2.15 You know who it is. It's your Lord and Savior, a mighty man of valor and strength. 
Who is this man that rides upon a white horse who wears a crown and goes forth conquering all who oppose Him? Revelation 6.2 It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Who is this one whom when heaven is opened, riding upon a white horse, He's called faithful and true. And in righteousness He doth judge and make war. You know who it is. Who is this man whose eyes are a flame of fire and on his head are many crowns? The man is clothed with a vesture dipped in blood and his name is called the Word of God. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Who is this man that out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that smites the nations and treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God? Why, He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's Christ, our mighty man of valor. And this Jephthah is a picture of Christ. When Jephthah's half-brothers realized that he was going to take part in the inheritance of Gilead, they thrust him out. And when Ammon came against them, Jephthah's brothers, we saw it last time, you remember what they did. They went to him and they begged him to come back. You see, when a sinner sees his need of Christ, they will beg him to save them. And that's exactly what these brothers did. It's not the other way around. Men today uh, speak of God as a beggar. But God's not a beggar. They portray Christ as a beggar. You know, He's uh, standing on the portals of heaven, wringing His hands and saying, won't somebody just believe me? Won't somebody let me save them? No, that's not the Christ of the Bible. We just read about Him. Uh, there's no beauty in our Lord that we should desire Him. But Paul said when the commandment came and showed us our sin, and that's exactly what He does to every believer. He shows us our sin and He shows us our need of the Lord Jesus. And God enables them to see that need. And Paul said sin revived and worked death in them and they begged Christ to deliver them from their sin. Christ is not doing the begging. The sinner's doing the begging. Lord, save me. Lord, help me. And what a picture this story is. Do you see your need of Christ? Some of you do. And when you do, you cry and you beg. And you say, Lord, help me. Lord, save me. Lord, be my Commander-in-Chief. You're the only mighty man that can save us. You are exceedingly strong and mighty. You see, that's what this story's about. As all stories are in the Scriptures, they're about Christ. Jephthah had a different set of parents than his half-brothers did, and so did our Lord and Savior. We're born of our father Adam, but he was born of God. He was the Son of God, and he was God the Son. He was born of a virgin, but God was His Father. And our Lord was tried and tempted in every point as we are, but the Scripture says, yet without sin. See, He had no sin. And He went to Tob, he, and, 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 he, and we went to Tob, and we found our elder brother, and we cried to him as Jethro's brother did, won't you help us? You're the only one that can. We see now that you're a mighty, you're exceedingly mighty and strong. And Jephthah, you remember what he said? He said, if I come, are you going to make me the commander and captain? And they said, yes. 
And friends, when a dead sinner comes to Christ, they see Him who is all things. The Scripture says He's everything to the believer. Isn't He everything to you? That's right. And we see Him who by all things are. He created all things and He's in control of everything. He's the captain of our salvation. Only God can make sons and daughters unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. And Jethah made a vow. And that sacrifice is a picture of the atoning work of our, of, of our Jethah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, not just any sacrifice is going to do. It has to be a burnt offering. It has to be perfect. It must be perfect to be accepted. That's what the Scriptures teach us. And Christ is that perfect sacrifice. Christ is that perfect burnt offering. You know, most everyone's trying to atone for sin. But it has to be a sacrifice that God will accept. Are you just wasting your time? Uh, and that sacrifice was very costly. Now, do you believe that Jetha's daughter was everything to him? Well, you know she was. She, you, you, she, this was a costly sacrifice to him. Verse 34 says that she was his only child. Besides her, he had neither son nor daughter. And there's no sacrifice more costly than the one that Jetha made to fill the vow of atonement. And so it is with our Lord and Savior, God's only begotten Son. You know, I've said this many times, salvation and the Lord Jesus Christ is free to us, but it was a sacrifice that was exceedingly costly to God. This is my beloved Son, my only begotten Son, the Son that I've loved from before eternity. <laughs> if you can use that terminology. None more costly than God the Son, who was God. And to those of you that are parents, could there be anything more costly than, than to lose your child? You know, people talk about the ultimate sacrifice. A, a soldier loses his uh, life in time of war, and what a costly sacrifice that is. But you think about his mother or his father, and the sacrifice, what an ultimate sacrifice it was to them. You know, I was thinking today about those parents who sacrificed their children in the fire of Moloch. And you remember that? History records that an idol named Moloch, who had the face of a calf and had open hands like he's trying to receive something. You know, and... Uh, they would uh, light the idol on fire until his hands were scorching hot and they'd bring their children and place it on those hands for a sacrifice. That's just unfathomable. To those of you that are parents, why you would lay down your life in a heartbeat for your children. That um, this... And that, and that story is confirmed in, in Leviticus chapter 18, verse 21, when the Lord commanded that none in Israel should let their seed pass through the fire of Moloch. Now, now let me give you something to think about. Those parents that did that, they, they weren't cold and calloused and heartless in what they did. 
I used to think that when I uh, read that story. They actually had a better understanding of deity than religious men and women do today. Now, religious men and women today think that they can atone for their sins by something that they themselves do for God. They think they can offer God something that He would accept for the atonement of sins. And as horrible as it was to sacrifice their children unto Molech, it shows that they had a better understanding than men and women today have. You see, they understood that the cost of appeasing their gods and their idols was a costly sacrifice. I think about Cain and Abel. You know, Cain brought the best work of his hand. And God rejected it. Abel brought the blood of a lamb, a sacrifice of a lamb, picturing Christ, and God accepted it. In Genesis chapter 22, the Lord told Abraham, He said, Take thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest. I love that story, don't you? Take him into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a what? A burnt offering. And Abraham was willing to make that ultimate sacrifice. And you know the rest of the, of the story. And just as Abraham was about to sacrifice Isaac, the Scripture says he had the knife raised. The, the son that he had waited so long for, God stopped him and gave him the only hope that any sinner has. What's that hope? God is able to provide for Himself and God will provide Himself as the ultimate sacrifice for our atonement. That being the sacrifice of the Christ, of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. God's only begotten and beloved Son. For God so loved the world that He gave. <laughs> he gave, what did He give? His only begotten Son. That whosoever should, would believe in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, in and of ourselves, we cannot make a sacrifice that will atone for sin. I don't know why folks think they can. The Scripture's clear. But that's what this story is about. It's about the one, our great burnt offering, that made the sacrifice for us. And Jephthah's vow here pictures the vow of God in the burnt offering of His Son. John wrote in 1 John chapter 4, verse 9, And this was manifested, the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. Oh, you've never lived, sinner, until you've lived in Christ. And herein is love, not that we love God, People go around all the time talking about how much they love God. It's not that we love God, but that He loved us and did what? Sent. He sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, For as much as you know that you weren't redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold. And listen, you can put anything there in that verse uh, that you want to. Silver, you're not, it doesn't have to be just silver and gold. You, he said, but you weren't redeemed with corruptible things of silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. Yeah, whatever words you put in there for silver and gold, 
Uh, you're not going to be redeemed by anything other than Christ's precious blood. And that's what Jephthah's daughter is all about. That's what this story is about. It pictures the vow of atonement. This sacrifice had to be holy. The sacrifice had to be pure. The sacrifice had to be spotless, which is represented by the fact that Jephthah's daughter was a virgin. Did you notice that? Virginity in the Scriptures is a picture of purity and holiness, picturing Christ who's a virgin to sin. God made Him to be sin. He knew no sin. God made Him to be sin that you and I, the sinners that we are, might be made the righteousness of God in Him. And that's the vow of atonement that God made before the world ever was. God made Him to be sin that we might be made the perfect righteousness of God. When our Lord went to the cross and the wrath of God was poured out on Him, the holiness of Christ is what made the sacrifice acceptable to God. If you and I had hung on the cross, it wouldn't have paid for one sin. But this is the holy, pure, sinless Son of God who died in our place. A sinner can't atone for sin. We don't have what God requires. Our righteousness is filthy rags. Only a perfect and holy sacrifice could atone for sin. Sinless spotless perfection is what God requires. We don't put our hands upon the altar. <laughs> the Lord warned against that. Don't put your hands upon the altar. It becomes defiled the second that we do. We don't put steps on the altar. You know, down in Mexico, that's what man-made religion does. they got all these steps going up to the altar. Religion has its steps too. You, and you step one and on one and then another and then on another. You pray and you make a decision and you get baptized and you join the church and you give tithes and offerings. It's nothing but just steps. Just walking up the steps to make a sacrifice by your own work. Nothing. It's nothing but adding steps to the altar of the Lord Jesus Christ, the ultimate sacrifice. And notice also here that Jephthah's daughter was willing. Look at verse 36. And she said unto him, My father, if thou hast opened thy mouth unto the Lord, do to me according to that which hath proceeded out of your mouth. In other words, Daddy, Father, you can't take your words back from God. Friends, before the foundation of the world, God Almighty spoke words promising to give His Son a bride. God the Son spake the words to His Father and, and He said, I'll lay down my life for that bride. And no man can take my life. I will willingly go to, to make her without spot and without blemish. I'll lie down on that cross. You know, I was thinking about that the other day, just thinking about the crucifixion of the Lord. They laid that cross or pole or what, what, you know, whatever it was, and and they laid it on the ground, and he had to lay on that on that cross. They didn't lift him up with a ladder after the cross was put in the ground. They nailed him to the cross as he lay down. Isn't that an amazing thought? 
He humbled himself, friends, when he became a man, but he humbled himself any more, even more unto death, the death of the cross. And he laid down on that cross and they nailed his hands and his feet to it. And then they dropped that pole in the ground. My, my, what a picture that is. And that's what this story, the vow of atonement, is all about. Jephthah's daughter was a costly and precious burnt offering, holy, pure, spotless, and willing. Did you uh, notice that Jephthah trusted her? <laughs> Verse 37 again, And she said unto her father, Let this thing be done for me, to me. Let me alone two months, and I may go up and down upon the mountains and bewail my virginity, I and my fellows. And he said, Go. And he sent her away for two months, and she went with her companions and bewailed her virginity upon the mountains. Friends, our Heavenly Father trusted Christ, he, His beloved Son, to finish the work of redemption for us. He came in the world to seek and to save that which was lost. You know, I, I was just thinking about what I would have done in this situation. You're going to let me go for two months? I know you're going to sacrifice me unto the Lord? And you know that the friends with her probably said, you know, we can just head right on over that mountain and keep right on going. But she didn't. No, she didn't. And the Lord Jesus Christ came to this world to save sinners. And every one of you would agree that you're the chief. You'd say, I'm the chief. I'm the worst. He came in the world to save sinners. His word is a vow of atonement. Verse 39, And it came to pass at the end of two months that she returned unto her father who did with her according to his vow which he had vowed. When Christ's work was finished, our Savior returned to His heavenly Father having perfectly finished the work according to the vow that He made His Father. And that's what this story is about. The finished work of Christ for His elect people. His name is faithful and true. Verse 40, The daughters of Israel went yearly to lament the daughter of Jephthah, the Gileadite, four days in a year. Now not only was this burnt offering acceptable to God as an atonement for sin. Not only was it costly, and it was costly. His only daughter. He had no other child. But it's also to be remembered. That's what we do when we meet together like we are tonight. We remember the work that our Lord accomplished for us. And you know, numbers are significant in the Bible. The number four here is significant. The fourth day of creation is the day that God made the sun, the moon, and the stars. And what causes a man or a woman to think more of, of, of God and His salvation than when they look into the sky and see the marvelous creation of God and the light of the sun and the moon and the stars? And it's that same light, that same illumination that God shines into our hearts to drive the darkness away. Did you know that the fourth commandment of the ten was to keep holy the Sabbath? 
which was a sign and a picture and a type of Christ who fulfilled all the law for us and rested from His labor. This is all about Christ. This is all about what Christ has done for sinners. It's a vow of atonement to save us from our sin. There's four seasons in a year. We're experiencing a new one. Well, it's not new, but you know, we figured that out today when we got up and went outside. It's cold. And we have four seasons. And in every season, did you know that word season means appointed time? In every season, in the appointed time, we remember the atoning, willing, and acceptable sacrifice of our Lord Jesus for sin. And that's what this story is about. It's a vow of atonement. It's a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. May God be pleased to make it so for His glory, our good, and for Christ's sake. What a picture that is.